Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back with you this morning to open God's Word. And I would like to invite you to do so. If you could open your Bibles to the passage which uh, Pastor Mark opened uh, a few minutes ago, that's Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. Uh, while you're doing so, let me, on behalf of my uh, wife and children, thank you for your warm welcome here uh, to Letter Kelly. We pray for you often. And uh, it's wonderful to be with you and to meet you all uh, face to face and to get to know you. Your welcome has been uh, very warm and it's been a delight to get to know you better. And uh, as we return to our home, we'll know how to pray even better and uh, be able to put uh, faces to names and to uh, continue to lift you up before the Lord uh, each day. Uh, We've been uh, thinking this weekend about three Christian challenges Uh, challenges that we all face and will face from time to time in the Christian life. And we've been studying these challenges through the eyes of men and women who encountered Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, We thought the first evening of the challenge uh, to believe Jesus despite the onslaught of doubt. Um, The case study there was John the Baptist. And then we considered the challenge Uh, To have a a single-minded focus on Jesus, despite all of the distractions which the world throws up uh, to us each day. And our case study yesterday was those two sisters, Mary and Martha. And I want this morning to consider with you the challenge uh, to persevere. Uh, The challenge to doggedly and persistently keep on praying to Jesus despite the discouragements that are in our way. And our case study this morning is a woman uh, whose name we do not even know. Her name isn't given to us uh, by the Gospel writers. We do know that she was a Canaanite. And as Mark mentioned in the reading, uh, she was therefore a member of a community uh, that was marginalized by self-righteous Jews of that period but a community that was not beyond the reach of the grace of God. Now, by this point in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has been in the region of Galilee for some time, since the end of chapter 4, where we're told the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus has preached the good news of the kingdom of heaven to these people in Galilee. Uh, The kingdom of heaven just means that the power of God, the rule or the authority of God that is coming to earth through his son, Jesus the King. But how have these Galileans responded to the light that they've received? Well, I'm sorry to say the answer is not very well. They haven't responded well at all. Time and again, Matthew records that while Jesus certainly excites a great following, he also arouses great anger and resistance wherever he goes. I'm glad Mark read from the start of the chapter because we have a good example of that with the self-righteousness of the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders of the time. In fact, back in chapter 11, verse 22, Jesus went so far as to say that on the day of judgment, it would be less tolerable for those Galilean villages of Bethsaida and Chorazin than it would be for the great pagan cities of Tyre and Sidon. And so it is that Jesus has begun to withdraw himself from Galilee. He's leaving Galilee behind. Where do you think he goes? 
he goes to Tyre and Sidon. While he's there, he encounters this a single Gentile woman who practices a remarkable doggedness of faith, a stubborn, gritty faith that holds on despite all discouragement and all opposition. Jesus, at the end of this passage, calls it great faith, a faith that outshines all the unbelief of all the multitudes of Galilean Jews who had followed him thus far. So we want to consider this Dogged believer. Believer that hangs on persistently. We want to consider how she illustrates for us this doggedness, this great faith in particular, by the way she prays. So if you have an outline before you there, you'll see there's three things we want to look at from this passage. First, we want to consider the prayer's request, what it is she's asking for. That's in verses 21 and 22. Secondly, we'll think about the prayer's rebuff, how Jesus seemed to turn her away uh, in verses 23 to 27. Uh, And then very briefly in closing, uh, we'll look at the prayer's response in verse 28. So if you have your Bible open, we're going to look first at the prayer's request. And I'd ask you to look with me again at verses 21 and 22. Let's read those verses again. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew. To the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Let's ask first of all who it is that offers this request. Who offers the prayer? She's a woman from that vicinity. She's from Tyre and Sidon. Mark's gospel accurately calls her a Syrophoenician woman. That's just a big long word that makes a geographic point. She's a Gentile from beyond the borders of Israel. But Matthew chooses a different term. Because he wants to make what we might say is a theological point. He uses a much more loaded term. He calls her a Canaanite woman. Now, if you know the Old Testament, if you know anything about uh, uh, the story of Joshua, for example, you'll know that the Canaanites were a people that really were long since gone. Uh, Matthew's using an anachronistic term. He's talking about a a people that God had told uh, had to be destroyed in the Old Testament. And he wants us to know the identity of this woman as a Canaanite at the start of the story. A little bit of Old Testament background is is maybe helpful here. The Canaanites were the cursed people. I couldn't really describe in mixed company some of the things they were best known for. They were a rather nasty bunch of people. If you want to read about it, go back and read Leviticus 18 and other passages. People who were just seen as as outcasts and wicked. And and God had said that they were to be destroyed. He had given them opportunities to turn. And they had turned them down. And yet, remembering that story of Joshua, there was one woman, the woman Rahab, a prostitute. And she was spared because of her great faith in the God of Joshua. God showed mercy even to these Canaanites. Likewise, the cities of Tyre and Sidon. They were, in the Bible, they were wicked Gentile cities condemned 
in the Bible by God's prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, and Zechariah. They all prophesied judgment on Tyre and Sidon. And yet, in the book of Kings, we read of one widow. A widow who we are told lived in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Who was spared. Spared by her great faith in the God of the prophet Elijah. And so we come into our text in the New Testament. And what we find here is a case of Old Testament deja vu. This Canaanite woman sought Jesus out. But in reality it was Jesus that sought her out. But you see from the disciples perspective. She was untouchable. She was certainly not the kind of person a Jew, much less a Jewish rabbi, would associate with. And this woman knew the social conventions of her. She knew that this was how she was viewed. But she didn't let it hold her back from making request of Jesus. And that's because, you see, one characteristic of the dogged believer is that he or she prays against the odds, so to speak. What possible hope do her prayers have of being answered by this Jewish rabbi Jesus? Might she not expect to be excluded from his grace? She had to cross both a gender barrier and an ethnic barrier to make her request of Jesus. And Jesus likewise must, in Paul's words, break down the dividing wall of hostility to respond to it. That's who is offering this prayer. And by way of application, I wonder, do you sometimes feel as if you're praying against the odds? Praying against the odds. You look at your background, perhaps. You look back over your life. You look within, and all you see is sin, and defilement, and unworthiness. You need to pray to God. But maybe you pause and you say, will God accept me with all my baggage? Will he accept me as I am? Don't I have to somehow match up first? That's not the way this woman thought, is it? She's a brilliant example of dogged faith. She, She comes anyway with all of this background seemingly counting against her. She's not deterred from presenting her prayer to Christ. But she doggedly and boldly presses in to see the king. That's who she is. That's why she prays. But what about the prayer itself? What is her prayer's request exactly? How she crafts her prayer is a great example for you and I to follow. Again in verse 22, what what is she saying? She says, Lord, son of David... Have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. What does she do in her prayer? She acknowledges helplessness. She acknowledges her helplessness. She cried out to him. That that verb to cry out is used of of Peter walking on the water in the previous chapter. In in Matthew 14, 30, we read that beginning to sink, he he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And like Peter's prayer, this woman's prayer is a crying out to God with an acute 
awareness of desperate need. Have mercy on me. Echoes the opening words of Psalm 51 that we're going to sing at the close. And it's, it's always good to begin our prayers with those words. Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. That word, mercy, says I am needy of your grace. It says I am unworthy of your grace. It says you're able to bestow grace on me if you will. She acknowledges her helplessness and she also acknowledges her Lord. Look what she says. Lord, son of David. That's that's what she calls him. It's quite remarkable, isn't it, that this Gentile woman recognized exactly who it was she was praying to. The dogged believer is one that prays against the odds and recognizes that the object of prayer is above the odds. He's said to be the son of David, the messianic king. He's said to be the Lord. Confession of his identity as the Son of God. So the text doesn't tell us why she knew this. We're kind of left to, to conjecture, I suppose. But that she believed the covenant promise is remarkable. We need to conclude that this was a Gentile believer in the Jewish Messiah. And her background sets her apart as a daughter of Canaan racially. But her great faith in Jesus, the son of David, sets her apart as a daughter of Abraham, spiritually. And that's, at the end of the day, what matters. Many different nationalities represented here today, as we've seen already. It doesn't matter. We are all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We are all from a fallen race. And the gospel of grace extends to us all, as it did to her. She acknowledges her helplessness. She acknowledges her Lord. And she acknowledges her problem. Now we've all got problems. All of us. What's her problem? My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. It's very important for us to understand, friends, that one of the characteristics of doggedness is going on, praying constantly, is to pray stubbornly for problems that for you are insurmountable. Problems that you know are totally beyond your reach. You've got some problems. You've tried. You've tried. You've tried everything. Nothing's working. It's beyond your reach. Here's an example from God's Word of just such a prayer. Some of you maybe shared this prayer this morning. This woman has a daughter, a beloved child who is lost. Lost. Perhaps that's someone here, you have a child and you're concerned about them. Maybe they're suffering terribly, consequences of their sinful lifestyle. Maybe someone else in your family, a friend, a loved one. This woman's daughter cannot change herself. She's under Satan's dominion. She cannot and will not bring herself to Jesus. But as with your wayward children and friends and loved ones who are lost, she, she has a loving parent who is a dogged believer who will keep on bringing her case to Jesus so that in Paul's words, she may be turned from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that she may receive forgiveness of sins. 
Now with others of you this morning, it may not be a family member that has sold her soul to the devil. It may be some other personal crisis affecting your health perhaps, or your finances, or your job, or your relationship. But you see, the point is, you feel at the outset as if you're praying against the odds. It's beyond you, humanly speaking. The odds seem stacked against you. And like this woman, you must bring your case to Jesus. Bring your case to Jesus. Even though you may feel the same hindrances to prayer, they come from an awareness of your unworthiness, and your personal baggage, and your sin. And the sheer magnitude of your trial as well. Here is this dogged believer and her prayer's request. But this prayer meets with a rather interesting reply from Jesus, doesn't it? So we want to look secondly at the prayer's rebuff. The prayer's rebuff. How Jesus seems to turn it away. Now, for many readers of the Gospels, let's be honest... Um, this is a rather troubling passage at first blush. You read it and you think, what is going on? This, this isn't the Jesus uh, that we perhaps expect uh, to hear from. He seems really harsh. It, it almost seems out of character for Jesus uh, to respond to her uh, in this way. Instead of responding with his characteristic immediacy and generosity, Jesus just seems to push her away, doesn't he? Seems to push her away. She was praying against the odds to begin with. It seems even more so as soon as Jesus opens his mouth. I'm using this phrase uh, against the odds, I hope you realize it in a purely human way. Of course, uh, we understand there are never any odds uh, with God in an absolute sense. There may often appear to be uh, insurmountable odds from the perspective of the one praying, certainly, but not to the one being prayed to. These two very different perspectives need to be kept in mind as we consider what happens next in our story. Despite his seemingly curious behavior in this episode, keep in mind that all along Jesus knows full well this woman and her exact predicament. And he's going to do something about it. He knows what he's going to do. Indeed, the means, the means whereby Jesus will procure for her what she seeks is her prayer against the odds. But, but first he's going to test this woman's faith. We know that. He knows that. She doesn't know that yet. <laughs> and so we need to put ourselves in, in her shoes or her sandals or whatever we wear. Okay? Uh, and we need to see things from her perspective. Okay? And, and try to feel the, the tension in this passage. And you'll learn when you do so that great faith keeps on praying even though everything, even Jesus himself, seems to be against you. Now so far, we've learned that her prayers are running against the odds of her Gentile background and the enormity of her crisis. But to make matters much, much worse, she now meets with four discouragements in prayer. Discouragements that you too will also face. Discouragements that are going to call forth that Christian doggedness and perseverance. Let's look at each of them in turn and observe how dogged faith handles them. Discouragement in prayer number one. 
is this. When Jesus gives no immediate answer. That's discouragement in prayer number one. When Jesus gives no immediate answer. Look at verse 23. But Jesus did not answer a word. Yes, you read that right. Jesus did not answer a word. You ever pray to God and he does not answer you a word? It's like you pray and the words you hit the ceiling and they fall down. You ever pray like that? You open the scriptures. No words of, of direction or encouragement or comfort seem to be forthcoming to address your particular case. It all appears silent. No peace of God that passes all understanding fills your heart. God frequently tests the faith of his people this way. It was the psalmist's experience in many of the psalms. Psalm 22 2 is a good example. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season I cry to you, and I'm not silent. But you see, in such trials, what is the response of dogged faith? Is it to just walk away depressed? No. Rather to this woman, Christ's silence is a summons to exercise a dogged faith. A dogged faith. It's when we, we can't see that faith is called for. Not when everything is clearly visible. Dogged faith means praying even when there seems to be no answer from God. Dogged faith realizes that not answering is not the same thing as not listening. Very different things. Never measure God's hearing of your prayers by his lack of immediate answer to your prayers. Let me illustrate. I have a friend, a Canadian, uh, so for our Canadian friends here today, um, uh, she was hiking in the Rockies, a uh, very expert climber. She was climbing by herself. A uh, very remote part of, uh, of the Rockies somewhere, and, and she, she lost her grip. She fell. Fell actually several hundred feet. It's a remarkable that she, she survived the fall. And uh, she, she was knocked out. When she woke up, it was dark, uh, and she had a broken neck. Broken neck and, and a punctured lung. And she couldn't, she couldn't get the breath to, to cry, to scream for help. But she did have a torch with her. Uh, it's a flashlight for North American friends, okay? So, 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 so she starts flashing. The torch, flashing torch, and it's all she had to signal with, and she did it for hours and hours and hours, and it got darker and darker and darker. No response. No signs of life. She said, "I'm going to die. I'm going to die here." And there were a lot of grizzly bears in that area. She knew that. She knew the area well. She said, "I'm going to die." And the Lord actually used this to to bring her to himself. Um, that's not the part of the story I want to tell you about, though. She gave up. She gave up home. She would die of exposure. Perhaps food for bear. But what she didn't know, what she didn't know, was that across the valley, someone had seen the signal. Someone had seen the signal. And a returning party of hikers uh, coming down from uh, the sand, they, they had spotted uh, the signal. And a mounted rescue team at that moment was on the way uh, to help her, even though 
She did not perceive it at that moment. And it would take several hours for them to come to reach her. Sometimes Jesus answers us not a word. Not a word. And it all seems silent. Has our signal been received? Has our prayer been heard? Of course it has. Of course it has. Doesn't mean he isn't listening. The discouragement of prayer number one is when Jesus gives no immediate answer. Dogged faith keeps on. The discouragement of prayer number two is when you feel pressured to give up praying. You ever felt that? Pressured to give up praying. The second part of verse 23 says, And his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Well, the disciples are at it again. They usually get it wrong. It's very encouraging to read uh, others who get it wrong. We're not alone in this, but they exhibit this usual Jewish prejudice against Gentiles. Not against Gentile women in particular. And, and there's, there's more than a hint here that they want to send her away because her crying out, because of her dogged praying, is simply getting on their nerves. Here's a second great discouragement for the woman. Jesus is hearing both her prayer and a counter prayer. A counter prayer from his disciples. What is it that hinders your prayers, friends? Do you ever feel tempted to give up praying? How many times have you felt pressure to be sent away from the throne of grace? This might be anything or anyone that would discourage you from praying or that would try to persuade you to stop. It might be your own deep-seated doubts about whether or not God will really hear you. But look at the response of dogged faith here. The response of dogged faith is to stubbornly refuse to be sent away, to pray on. Even though the only discernible responses are from those who would silence your prayer. Paul tells us that dogged faith means, in Ephesians 6.18, praying always. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance. Remember, it's not Jesus that wants to persuade you to stop praying. But ultimately, it's the devil. Who, as the, the proverb often says, the devil trembles to see the weakest saint upon his knees. This is famously illustrated by C.S. Lewis uh, in his book, The Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you've read The Screwtape Letters. It's a rather interesting story of a senior devil instructing a junior devil uh, in how to uh, uh, tempt his human patient away from the divine enemy. Yeah, it's a great read if you haven't read it. But on this matter of prayer, uh, it's interesting uh, how uh, Lewis puts it. This is what uh, the senior devil Screwtape writes to his junior apprentice. He says, Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human being no longer desiring but intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he's been forsaken, but still obeys. Still obeys. You ever look at the world and it's as if every trace of God has vanished? 
banish the heavens are like brass. Nothing's getting through. I'm still going to obey. I feel nothing. I feel cold. I'm going to obey him anyway. That's dogged faith. Dogged faith. The devil hates it. Praying against the odds. Refusing to be sent away even though God is silent. Even though there's pressure to give up. Well, there's more discouragements here. If that wasn't enough that this woman has to face. Discouragement number three is when Jesus feels like a stranger to you. Jesus feels like a stranger in verse 24. He answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. At last, Jesus is speaking. We're getting somewhere. Jesus is speaking, but no doubt to the woman's dismay, he isn't speaking to her at all. He's speaking about her. But he's answering the disciples' question as if he's siding with them and shrugging her off. Send her away, Jesus. And Jesus says back to the disciples, yeah, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, you know. In the woman's hearing. In the woman's hearing. She's already confessed her belief in Jesus' messianic mission But Jesus treats her like a stranger. His mission is only to the lost sheep of Israel. The implication, of course, is you Gentiles need not apply. That's what it sounds like. Now again, we have to say Jesus' behavior here seems puzzling. But let's come close to home for a minute. Isn't this sometimes your experience in the Christian life? Has Jesus ever behaved or acted in such a way with you that he almost feels like a stranger to you? Maybe you've struggled with some situation in life where God's providence seems puzzling. And you ask, what's God doing? His ways seem mysterious to you. You need to remember that God's ways are often mysterious beyond searching out. And what from your perspective appears uncharacteristic and troubling and difficult to understand is from God's perspective a wise, profound, gracious and shrewd, leading you out to him in humble faith. He knows the final gracious outcome. When you can. He's promised not to test his little ones beyond what they can bear, but he may test them to the point where they are most uncomfortable. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, the apostle says. And in such circumstances... The response of dogged faith is to recognize that some answer is better than no answer. This woman has been rebuffed indirectly, but she wants to hear from Jesus herself. So what does she do? Look at verse 25. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Despite these three discouragements, she she came before him. She's she's back again. And she's suing for mercy. Lord, help me. Like Jacob wrestling with the angel and not letting go until she receives his blessing. She's praying against the odds again. We even read that she knelt before him. Literally, she worshipped him. Displaying not only great faith, but great humility. She not only accepts his messianic mission, but she subjects herself to his sovereignty and his lordship. God's present providences, the things he lets happen to us, may be most painful for us. But 
that this Canaanite woman shows us that dogged faith clings to God's word and what we know of his nature and not our circumstances, not our interpretation of his providence. We live by faith, Paul says, not by sight. And that is put to the test when God's ways are mysterious to us. So we've seen these three discouragements when Jesus gives no immediate answer, when you feel pressure to give up praying, when Jesus feels like a stranger to you. And there's one more. Discouragement in prayer number four is when Jesus seems to say no. When Jesus seems to say no. Jesus has gone from silence to a somewhat oblique response through the disciples, but now at last, at last, He's addressing this woman directly. Look at verse 26. What did he say? He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Ouch. Jesus is telling a mini parable here that the children are of course the lost sheep of of Israel, the Jews, and their bread is Christ himself. He is bread of life. Now these dogs, boys and girls, don't, don't think of these little dogs as being the cute little puppies from 101 Dalmatians, okay? Uh, that's not the picture that Jesus has in mind here. Rather, these are savage, flea-bitten strays. Uh, they were considered to be the most unclean creatures in all creation. Think, think of sewer rats. Think of lice. Well, don't, don't think too long about it, but... Think of something really disgusting and gross, okay? Or some other vermin, whatever makes your flesh crawl. That's what Jesus is saying. It's hardly a flattering term for the Gentiles and for this woman. But get this. Jesus' reply, while it seems to be a flat no, is in fact leaving the door ajar. Leaving the door ajar for an ultimate yes. And this woman sees the door, uh, the door sees the door opening and, and she seizes the opportunity. It's really interesting. I, I could spend a lot of time talking about this as well, but this is the only time in the Bible, the only time in the Bible where in a debate situation, Jesus deliberately lets himself be caught by his own words. It's, it's fascinating, it's beautiful. He's testing her faith, you see. And her dogged faith wins the day. Look at verse 27. She she has the clincher. He gives her the clincher. Yes, Lord, she says. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You see the response of dogged faith when God seems to say no to your prayers. Humble yourself. Be willing to submit to his will while still appealing to his grace. She doesn't storm off in a huff in sense that Jesus should treat her so rudely and coldly, but rather she says in effect, Yes, Lord, I am an unworthy dog. I have no inherent rights to ask anything of such a mighty king. I am a sinner before a holy God. But my friends, the truth is neither do we have a link to stand. We're in the same situation. All prayer is against the odds. We are all dogs spiritually. We all deserve the judgment of God. All prayer is an act of begging. 
All prayer means coming to Jesus like this woman with humility in recognition of who he is and what he can do for us if he is willing. And prayer must be dogged. No pun intended with the little dogs in the passage. Prayer does not give up easily. And like Job, she presents her case before him and she fills her mouth with arguments. She shrewdly completes the Lord's parable and she finds a place for herself within it. She says, I am a dog. I am unclean. I am unworthy to ask you to meet my great need. But even the scraps of your table, the scraps from your table will be enough. Enough. More than sufficient for a dog's needs. This woman has doggedly wrestled with the Lord and prevailed. What a great story. Prayer's request, prayer's rebuff. And then briefly in closing, the prayer's response. How does the story end? Verse 28. And Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. This weekend we've been considering together Christian challenges. And, and the other challenges we've looked at, doubt and distraction, are both surely a call to doggedness. You and I need this woman's sheer doggedness to pray perseveringly against our doubts and distractions and every other Christian challenge that we may face in life. The Puritan William Gurnall once wrote, that prayers are not a long time in their journey to heaven, but they are long coming from there in a full answer. It doesn't take long for your prayer to get to the ears of God, but sometimes it does take a while for God's good purposes to let his answer come to us. And this woman had to wait for her full answer, but wasn't it worth it? Wasn't it worth it? No one is ever the loser for waiting patiently and doggedly praying with perseverance before the Lord. All the discouragements vanish in a moment as Jesus now praises the one that he had hitherto put through such a difficult trial. I love those words of the Apostle of Hebrews 12, 11. No chastening seems pleasant at the time, but rather painful. But afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. We've spent this morning in Jesus' school of prayer, haven't we? And what's he taught us? He's taught us to pray doggedly. To pray against the odds so that you too will develop great faith. Prayer against the odds doesn't look at the odds. It looks to Christ. And if, like this Canaanite woman, Christ himself seems to be one of those odds, you pray to him anyway. Pray to him anyway. And say like Job, though he slay me, Yet I will praise him. By well, the way, Jesus wraps this up. He says, your, your request is granted. For this triumphant prayer warrior, your prayer, your request is, is granted. Literally, it reads in the original, let it be to you as you desire. Let it be to you as you desire. It's like he hands her a blank check. Let it be to you as you desire. As if the magnitude of the answer she receives from God 
is proportionate to the magnitude of the faith that she expressed in her prayer. Every answer to prayer is gracious and not earned. Yet God in his grace is pleased to be sued and asked and begged and reasoned with and even argued with to obtain ordained blessings. He is sovereign over the end of the means. And it is all grace because at the end of the day we are all dogs. What are you praying about these days? What's on your heart? What have you been praying about for years, perhaps? How are you dealing with the Christian challenge, the, the challenges of the Christian life? May we all be encouraged this morning by this woman's faith to pray without ceasing, to pray doggedly, and may it be to you as you desire. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we come before you and we thank you for this story of a woman of great faith. We confess, O Lord, our faith is so often mustard seed in size. And we confess, O Lord, that our perseverance is often non-existent. We give up far too easily. We ask, O God, this morning that you would work in each one of our hearts, that you would help us to pray anyway, despite the discouragements we face, despite the obstacles that seem to be in our way, and to look with faith to Jesus. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the King, you are the Lord, the Son of David, the one who is not only able to answer, but also willing to do so. Help us, O Lord God, to have a dogged faith, to persevere against the other challenges of the Christian life. And we pray, O Lord, that you would build us up this day in our faith, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.